G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. It's certainly a disturbing consequence of lockdowns over this past two years where the incidence of domestic and family violence reached new heights in communities all over Australia. And for so many, it's not over yet. A conversation today about domestic violence and why current approaches to DV prevention are considered by many to be a failure. Importantly, we're going to give attention today to what we can do to turn it around and how churches can be proactive delivering a circuit breaker program in communities everywhere. Our special guest today has his own story to tell and today he's a sought-after domestic violence trainer, advocate and speaker. Matt Bolton leads Circuit Breaker. He's best known as the author of Changing Tools and the Circuit Breaker program. He specialises in domestic violence cases and working with perpetrators. He produced a documentary for the Joint Church's Domestic Violence Prevention Project called Not In My Church – and it's been used as a training resource for clergy. Matt Bolton, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Uh, great to be back again on such a great program. Matt, we're sort of framing our conversation today around domestic violence and the other side of lockdowns. Uh, mm. We've had two pretty stressful years. We feel like, for many, uh, emerging from that, but... Uh, What's been your experience? How can we process what's happened over the last couple of years? We've been hearing in the media there's been spikes in domestic and family violence. Is that the truth? Yeah, Neil, we were, we were already tracking worse and worse. Uh, this, this was already a national epidemic before the current epidemic. Uh, and I was a little bit sceptical, I must say, when I started hearing these reports in the media about uh, the rising rate of cases and, and demand for services. But then I began to hear it from uh, other frontline workers that, that were known to me were reporting that. So uh, we were, they were seeing a 65 to 75% increase in demand for their frontline services. Uh, and many of us would know that uh, there was a 75% uh, rise in searches for domestic violence services on Google. So that's verified statistic. But the really I guess a really punishing one that doesn't lie is uh, a 65% increase in DV-related hospital admissions. So uh, that's that's some pretty hard data and uh, and uh, pretty scary in terms of th this epidemic that's already been growing across our nation. So it was already at epidemic proportion before COVID, mm. and then COVID hit, and then there was economic stress that came upon. Uh, relationships and families, uh, disaster-related instability, 
than the opportunity when everybody's locked in together mm. uh, for exploiting one another in relationships. And, and then even from there, as you say, lots of people asking for support but reduced options because now everybody's afraid to get together because, hey, we're in lockdown and maybe I'll catch COVID from you. Mm. So all of those sorts of factors, uh, they sort of contribute to the increase. That's right, Neil. I mean, that's something that people are not talking about when they're talking about the increase, that uh, what they need to remember is that during COVID lockdowns, none of the perpetrator groups could meet. Uh, So there were no face-to-face options for people as far as intervention goes, which was you know, really, a, 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 I guess you'd say a perfect storm. Well, Matt, I love these conversations with you because it usually turns into a heart-to-heart conversation. Uh, that's what I love about the conversations. I think listeners uh, will love the thoughts and uh, the expressions of your own heart. But I know that you've got your own story to tell here, and I wonder whether you might just give us an, in a nutshell, Matt Bolton story, because uh, you've had your own experience in this area of domestic violence. That's right, Neil. And I think, to be honest, probably all of us are close to a story because of the the prevalence. We all have these people in our world, whether we know it or not. Uh, For me, uh, long before I was a pastor and a trained counsellor in this area, uh, to my shame, I was a perpetrator. And um, that's 28 years ago in my marriage that I, I had a real problem. And I was, I was a church guy. I was, you know, involved in, uh, in, uh, as a volunteer, a leader, and um, quite an active participant in church. But a home was a double life. And I, be, I just became uh, an abusive man, uh, trying to, I guess, grapple for what does it mean to be a husband? What, you know, how do I get my wife in order? Which was a, you know, a broken way of thinking, but... That's where I was at the time and uh, began, uh, you know, using bad language and uh, raising my voice and eventually crossing that line into a really sad chapter of getting physical. And uh, it wasn't really until a separation, till I came home to an empty house, that those consequences led me to get the help that I needed through a secular organization, through Lifeline and um, doing a men's course there, which changed my life changed your life and you restored your marriage Mm. and uh, you got on with your pastoral, well, you moved into some level of training and pastoral leadership beyond that time. Mm. How did did all that work? I mean, when we talk about a turnaround, and I hope we get to talk about this uh, in lots of different ways through the time we've got together today, but but Mm. when you're looking for that turnaround, and certainly there'll be some who are thinking, well, this is my partner, or someone's listening in going, you know what, uh, I'm prone to losing my cool, uh, yeah. like you say. Is you know we're all prone to losing our cool. Mm. Uh, the turnaround. How does that actually happen? Well, I think there's a point where you've got to realise things are getting worse and worse. You know, yes, we do lose our cool, but but if we lose our cool at someone, uh, that's a problem. And if that's going on, you know, I mean, where you say a turnaround, for me at the time, if you asked me. Every couple of weeks, I might have said, oh, no, I've had a turnaround. I've put that behind me. But it was a fingers crossed kind of turnaround. It wasn't based on anything substantial. And and if you keep on doing the things that you've always been doing, you'll keep on getting the results you've always got. And I really needed some help from outside and some new tools for change to be able to have some strategies to put that behind me rather than just a good feeling that I've changed or that God's 
zap me and I'm, everything's okay now. Because sometimes we talk about, don't we, a cycle of violence mm. and uh, there's a build-up phase and, and then there's an explosive phase and That's then right. there's the, you know, the buy you flowers and try and repair things and all of a sudden uh, I'll never do that again. So yeah. and then you've got the, you know, the, the whole uh, build-up phase that continues on from there. Mm. Uh, so this sort of phase that people go through somehow or other is understanding that cycle a part of the way that you get free from it? I think it's a big help. And uh, certainly when I'm working with people that are in denial, and uh, that the cycle of violence is a really helpful tool to understand. Because um, we all know, uh, we probably all know about the standover phase and explosion and those sorts of things that we see tragically in the media. Uh, but the, there's not as much known at, about the remorse phase. And remorse is real for a lot of these guys and, and women. Uh, who, uh, you know, really feel ashamed of what they've done. Uh, and then they do go through that pursuit phase, trying to build back trust, trying to... It's it's almost like a courting phase, really. But the honeymoon phase, that's the next phase that we seldom talk about. And that's a really sickly sweet phase where couples feel awesome. It's like... Um, it's like the manic phase of bipolar. It's like, why would I get help? I'm awesome. And, and I really related... To that one, uh, I remember that we just thought, "Oh no, something amazing's happened, and we're what a strong, amazing couple we are that we've come through that." You know who who gets through this kind of issue, but we have, and lap after lap, we would do that and um, just become more enmeshed and more separated from people that could have helped us if we had reached out. At what point in the cycle do most people seek help? Uh, when you say there's a remorse phase, uh, mm. my thoughts go to, well, maybe when I'm feeling worst about myself, I'm mm. going to put my hand up and say, oh, maybe I could do with a bit of help here. Is that is that the point when you finally get connection with people? That's absolutely right, Neil. That's, that's generally the very best time for working with people when they're in that remorse phase. Uh, but not to give them a simple out like, oh, you know, it's good that you're sorry and, and you know, in our church sort of world we might say that person's repented uh you know that's all great but we still have to put some substance with that change and as the, the bible says faith without works is dead and there's a few things that we need to do in terms of you know bringing change putting some strong boundaries around behavior and accountability is a really big part of it as well but people are looking for that and well they're more open to it at least in that remorse phase if we let them get any further they're likely to just do another lap around the cycle because they feel that they've passed it and they feel awesome again. Matt, let me ask you about Christians and domestic mm. violence. Uh, every now and then you'll get media reports that suggest that somehow or other domestic violence is as bad in the church. Uh, some reports even suggest it's worse. And uh, mm. some of those have been discredited, I might say, mm. because uh, it appears to be that the research would show that if you are in a good church environment, you are connected and there are role models, then a lot of these things get alleviated substantially. But mm. let me ask you, though, uh, in church life, and you even shared this was your own experience as a Christian in church, That's right. uh, that you were prone to losing your cool and things getting out of control. Yeah, things getting abusive, in fact. And uh, and it's not uncommon in churches. I, I, I don't think there's enough real hard data to suggest that that it's more so prevalent in church communities. I'd like to hope it's not. Uh, but 
there are some extra additional factors in church communities sometimes because people fear and and feel more ashamed of their behaviour. It it might be harder for them to reach out. Uh, they might have really strong taboos around separation, and and you know sometimes separation is necessary for survival. Um, otherwise, people become tragic headlines, and uh, that's certainly not what I think God wants. I don't have any statistics here, but the tragic headlines seem to be mm. increasingly prevalent. Uh, the thought that uh, someone has lost their life at the hands of someone who was a domestic violence uh, perpetrator, these mm. things, and, uh, and perhaps it's you know just the headlines I look at, but it mm. seems to be more prevalent. Yeah, around about 2016, I think um, KPMG uh, partnered with uh, Our Watch and um, some other domestic violence organisations to quantify what was going on. And the statistic that you might have heard of one woman per week losing her life as a result of domestic violence was actually it was edging closer to two per week. Um, of course, that's only women as well. So there's there's males that are victims of DV as well that are not counted in that data. Um, either way you look at it, to lose even one person per week uh, as a result of that. Put that in perspective. Um, remember the insulation scandal? Um, mm-hmm. Four people died as a result of that that, sca- that uh, scheme during the, the Rudd government, and um, there was a Royal Commission into that four deaths. Uh, and we certainly don't minimise that either, but, but put that into context. We have at least one woman per week losing their life. It's, um, it's 75% of police call-outs in my in my city in Logan, and uh, those statistics don't move too much around Australia with police being called to an incident every two minutes in our country. And whenever I have conversations about domestic violence, uh, often someone will call in and say, uh, what about men? Mm. Uh, And they're suffering at the hands of a female perpetrator Um, sometimes that is relevant, and uh, certainly for those who are in the middle of it, uh, that's a very significant thing. But when we're talking about the uh, the pervasive violence, uh, it really is being experienced by women, isn't it? Do you have any uh, insight into you know the balance there? Because there is emotional abuse, and that doesn't have the same bruises that a physical abuse has, and and so men seem to be on the receiving end of uh, the. Uh, classification as the perpetrator, but if you're bringing a balance in here, how do you see things like that, Matt? Well, I, I think uh, it, you know we we see uh, victims on both sides of the gender sp- spectrum, <laughs> I suppose. So uh, we and yes, definitely the the results in terms of injuries and deaths are greater with uh, female victims, but we do hear stories in the even in the media of male victims of. Um, of homicides in these relationships it certainly goes on and one of the problems is it's really hard to get data because men are less likely to report Um, so anecdotally I could tell you about victims that I've worked with male victims and uh, when they have reported to police which is rarely um, some have been laughed out of police stations not believed um, you know treated like a a sook Uh, so it's not a wonder they don't reach out Um, but it certainly goes on and it's certainly dangerous. We know that from the homicide stats. Uh, but also, you know, I think one of the sad things for me is that there aren't a lot of services around for female perpetrators. So 
when we deliver our circuit breaker programs, and uh, and they're really for humans, they're not for men or for women, uh, we, we will often deliver women's groups. And some of the stories in those groups are every bit as serious as some of the groups, some of the stories in the men's groups. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, if you're just joining us, we're talking domestic violence today. Our special guest is Matt Bolton. Matt leads Circuit Breaker. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Matt, let's, uh, let's, there's probably going to be likely uh, quite a, a few calls, so let's take some calls. Mel is in Queensland. Hi, Mel. Welcome along. Oh, yes, good morning, and thanks for um, this important topic. Um, a couple of points I wanted to raise. Um, firstly, thank you, um, uh, Matt, for sharing your uh, story, and, and I congratulate you on your uh, humility to um, make transformation. Thanks, um, unfortunately, from all the people I have um, assisted over many decades, that um, unfortunately it's um, not common um, for a perpetrator to have that humility to make some transformational change. So good for you. Um, the point I wanted to make was um, there's not a lot of um, uh, discussion around financial abuse, which is also um, can go hand in hand with those other types of um, abuses, which can include debts and gambling and uh, cutting a spouse out of a will um, and, and all sorts of um, financial abuse, including intermediaries such as lawyers and accountants um, taking advantage um, of, of couples in this um, situation. Um, and also to recognise that domestic violence is not just in a couple, but it can also be experienced between a parent and a child. That can include... Um, you know, a child under 18. It can also include an adult child. Mm. Mel, you're delivering some really good uh, facts here, but uh, you were going to make a, a main point here. What was that? Yeah, th- the main point is that uh, the um, also putting a spotlight on financial abuse. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, that it, it's not often um, spoken about and not, and not often um, addressed. Uh, Mel, let's hear from Matt. Uh, this must be one of the things that comes up whenever you've got circumstances around domestic violence, the financial aspects of the abuse. Matt, what's yeah. your thoughts for, for Mel? Yeah, thanks for your call, Mel, and um, uh, and thanks for bringing this to the table as well because uh, I think that it's a mistake to just think of domestic abuse as just domestic violence. Um, she's quite right that there's a whole pattern of different abusive behaviours that make this possible. Sometimes it will begin... In fact, usually it will begin with psychological abuse for a long time, which wears a person down. And and things like financial abuse can really limit options and, and isolate a victim to the point where they have limited options for escaping. Okay, Mel, thank you so much for your call. Let's move on because there's uh, quite a few wanting to get through and have their say too or ask a question. Katrina is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Katrina. Hey, how you doing? Very well. What are your thoughts? Um, look, I just was calling to lend some support, actually. I actually was trained by Matt Bolton um, as a facilitator to deliver Circuit Breaker here on the Gold Coast. Wonderful. Yeah, so um, as a, a few years back as a single mum, I was similar, a kind of similar story to Matt, was the perpetrator. So, um, you know, having not very good 
well, abusing my children, basically, is simply put, and um, needed help. I, and like Matt, I was in church um, and just had no one to reach out to because it wasn't spoken about, um, mm. in my case anyway. Katrina, so, wonderful to hear yeah. that insight. And uh, interestingly, when we're talking about in church and there was no one to reach out to, uh, my thoughts go to a lot of churches have uh, marriage courses. Uh, they have people oftentimes, and not just the pastor, but lay people who are helping young couples, uh, you know, get their marriage on track and sort out family issues and, and just the sorts of things, you know, with people rubbing shoulders. But clearly you can feel isolated also in church and feel as though there's nowhere to turn. Uh, your thoughts for uh, for Katrina? Uh, well, I'm, I'm re- really glad Katrina's called in. She's um, actually one of our real generals with Circuit Breaker and we're so proud of where she's come from and what she's what she's done with, um, you know, turning her story around for her children and and, and really paying it forward, mentoring other people in the, in the program. Um, but yes, uh, uh, you know, uh, this kind of issue can can play out in many kinds of ways in relationships. That not just not just between men and women, but um, as Katrina says, with with children as well. And uh, just before we let Katrina go here, uh, when you've had your own experience and you've recognised you've mm. gone too far, mm. you are a perpetrator yeah. of domestic violence, does this actually, yeah. act, does it make you a, a better leader of a circuit breaker program because, well, you've got your own story to tell here? What sort of people make the best leaders, Matt? Well, that yes, I hear what you're saying and experience is certainly a help in terms of relating to others, but... But I don't think it's necessarily uh, it, it's always great uh, to come from a place of experience. Uh, sometimes that can get in the way as well. So, um, so I think it's important. It's important to say that it certainly doesn't close the door for people being involved if they've had a genuine transformation like Katrina has. And uh, uh, but then there's a next step. It's not the experience is not just enough. You also need to do the training and uh, and actually really get your head around all of the nature and dynamics of DV. Otherwise, you're just going to treat everything the same as your story, and that can that can create a lot of blind spots. Thank you so much, Katrina, for your call. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. I just reflecting back. I think it was the the earlier caller, Mel, who was complimenting your humility, Matt, and. I imagine that humility is something that can happen more freely with someone who is in church life than someone who's outside because there is a sense in which in church life we're often uh, confronted with Mm. the need to uh, put our own pride aside and be humble. And so humility, it appears to me, is something that should work actually quite more freely uh, within someone who's a part of church. Yeah, well, that... You know, I think that's one of the missing links in in our community response to DV is that you have to have humility to work with these people. You have to lo- be able to love people that are quite unlovely at times. And if you identify as better than them, uh, that that's a real trap. And that's that's I think what stops a lot of people doing good work in this area. I'm always guided, and I I can't get out of my mind the the Jesus's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The minute we start to think, oh, thank God that I'm not like that perpetrator over there, we have massively missed the boat, and that's what makes people ineffective. 
If we're talking about post-lockdown domestic violence, uh, it was already an epidemic before. Mm. Is it the case, do you think, that while all of those factors with the lockdowns happened over this past couple of years, people who would have never have thought that they would be a perpetrator of domestic violence, something snapped and Mm. all of a sudden they were in the boat with others? That's one of the controversial issues, Neil, that um, that, that some people would say, oh, no, these people are cold and calculating and, you know, they don't suddenly discover they're a perpetrator. Um, and that's certainly true of, of, a, of a minor percentage in the research. There is good research around that. It's, it's around about 30%. Um, but for the majority, around 66%, uh, it is a building thing. It's, um, it's a situational thing. It grows over time. And I have worked with so many men, including myself, who suddenly discovered that they'd become the thing that they hated and how did I get here? And that can be a really hard place to find yourself. Let's take another call. Walter is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Walter. Welcome. Hey, gentlemen. How are you? Very well. Walter, what are your thoughts? Um, I also um, facilitate the circuit breaker on the Gold Coast. I was a uh, perpetrator as well. And I'm a little older, so, yeah, I'm able to look back down the road and just say, look, having been with you have guys, um, the Circuit Breaker, they offer us tools that um, we didn't have available when we were growing up. So um, the tools that you're using at the moment, how are they working? So if they're not working for you, gentlemen, how about jumping on board and trying the Circuit Breaker? So, yeah, a great program. Um, Walter. Facilitated by them. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in. And uh, we're just a minute or so out from news. Uh, we've had conversations before, but uh, let's just talk very briefly for us, and we might enlarge after news, mm. the new tools that you need in your tool chest sure. uh, to be able to deal with things, Matt. Mm. Well, I think the first one is is we need some tools for being able to control anger because anger is not the only factor. We've talked about you know, a broad a range of abusive behaviours. It's not just an anger management issue. However, we can't begin to do any good work uh, under the influence of anger. And we, we compare it to being under the influence of alcohol. There's some things that you should not try and do under the influence of alcohol. And there's some things that you should not try to do under the influence of anger because in the same way, your judgment's impaired and you make a mess of things. Things like communication, conflict resolution. Uh, and this is why, as you said before, there's a lot of good training around marriage enrichment and some great tools for couples, but none of them work under the influence of anger. You're only going to do destructive behaviors. So, uh, so that's a first step, and that's where we start with our program, but but then there's many more tools that we can use. Matt, when we're talking about uh, the sorts of training that people can have, uh, you know, the sort of people who you're getting to the training, are they people who've been through their own domestic violence experience or are there people who are in churches saying, I recognise this is a problem and I need to get some training to be able to address things more formally? Uh, What sort of people are, are participating in these programs? I I think overwhelmingly they're in the second group. They're people that are saying, this is a major problem that we recognise in our community. We want to do something about it. Um, It's not good enough to wait for the cavalry who are not coming. (laughs) And we're really focused on helping lay people to get involved in domestic violence prevention and, and giving 
really practical tools into their hands to be able to engage with these people, hopefully before it gets to domestic violence. Interesting you say waiting for the cavalry will then not coming because mm. government programs uh, might provide some level of uh, you know accommodation, emergency accommodation, but dealing here with issues, really issues of the heart. So for the Christian and in a church experience, this is something that really is up our alley and we really need to be paying more attention to. Oh, I think so, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's not that governments are not doing anything good about domestic violence. I'm certainly not saying that. But funding is overwhelmingly in, in going towards response rather than prevention. And there's really not going to be any change until we begin to engage the ones doing the violence in a process of change. And that takes a special kind of person. I think church communities have a superpower in that space because ordinary people in churches um, have extraordinary powers. They believe in redemption. They believe people can change. I don't hear a lot of that in the DV sector. Uh, they um, And they're able to love unlovely people and, and walk with them through difficult times of change. So uh, so with a few skills in their toolbox, um, you know, I think they can really be equipped and that's what we're seeing results of around Australia. It sounds like you're saying that the usual ways to deal with DV prevention is more like containment. Uh, we contain the perpetrator, we try mm. and offer some solace to the victim, uh, mm. but the thoughts around the types of prevention you're talking about, are it's a resolution-oriented way where you can save yeah. marriages, save families, because if you save a marriage and if you save a family, you've affected the lives of uh, that uh, husband and wife and also were uh, the children in the way they grow up. It's There's mm. lots to win in all of that, isn't there? That's right, Neil. And uh, I think it would be a mistake to set people up with the false hope that that's always the case and that these relationships can always change. Certainly not saying that for a moment, but uh, but but I think there's a lot we can do on the way there. And, and Circuit Breaker is actually targeted at people that are on the trajectory towards domestic violence. So people don't have to be a domestic violence abuser to be in that sort of program. That it's We're really working with anybody that feels that their temper is affecting the quality of their relationships and that they know they could have a better quality of life and relationships. We are taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Andrew is in Kyneton in Victoria. Hi, Andrew. Welcome. Thanks very much. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I... I'm really, it's a great conversation and, and the thing that uh, has touched my heart is that you're acknowledging that males are victims too. Mm. Uh, um, I've, I've, done, I've just recently done a chaplaincy course and it, it came up about domestic violence and I went into a bit and I've got a police background and the, the thing that's often ignored is that four out of four males a day that have been recently separated are committing suicide. Wow. wow. And no one condones the violence against the whole... It, all of the whole seems awful, but in those instances, you have an option. You, have, you, you either flee or you fight. And I just like... Those that fight, we have females are physically abused, but... I think most males, if they're genuine, will will take flight. And for a day that have been re 
um, separated from separation relationships uh, committing suicide every day. Andrew, thank you for calling in and uh, reflecting those statistics and coming from a police background, uh, mm. those sorts of things, you know, close to, no doubt, uh, to Andrew's heart. Mm. Uh, what are you hearing when you uh, when you hear those sorts of statistics, when you hear Andrew uh, talking about these things and training as a chaplain? Obviously, he's mm. got a heart for how people can work out these sorts of issues. Uh, but this one in four, uh, this four a day, uh, all sorts of uh, issues here. What are your thoughts here? Matt? Well, I'm really grateful for Andrew bringing attention to something that we seldom talk about and we don't really have some good hard data on at the moment, but but um, certainly people in the front lines, like first responders like police, are certainly a lot closer to this and, and probably have a lot to tell us. Um, there is some work being done at the moment, um, which I'm excited to get my hands on, uh, where they are marrying up um, domestic violence data and, and police call-outs with with suicides that are completed uh, and um, that we believe there's a strong correlation there um, with some of these situations and what I'd like to say is that people on both sides of the fence can find themselves that desperate. Um, it's certainly not something we condone but for victims and for perpetrators either of those parties can feel so stuck and so powerless and so ashamed of their situation that they can you know, unfortunately, um, think that that's the best option for them. It is disturbing to hear uh, those issues. And Andrew, thank you so much for calling through. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Rob is in Warrigal in Victoria. Hello, Rob. Welcome. Yes. Good morning. Morning, Rob. What are your thoughts? Um, I've a uh, former police background and uh, and retired for quite some years, but I understand in Victoria that Victoria Police now run a program where after a domestic violence call, um, not only do they respond, but they have a responsibility and actually follow up uh, in following days, weeks, uh, ongoing. I was just wondering if... Um, uh, anyone was aware of this and the effectiveness of it. Um, it seems to be not only just the response element, but some degree of follow-up um, by the responding agencies. It sounds like a proactive way that police can work in that area. Uh, Matt, any thoughts? Uh, just I think it's a fantastic initiative, um, and my hope is that they're able to then connect those perpetrators with programs that the, that they find engaging I know in my own city that uh, one of the major programs that people are directed into has a very high rate of, uh, it's like a revolving door really. They've got some coming in and others going out the same week and some of those on parole would rather go back to jail than complete the mandatory course. Um, so so I think that's a really important link in the, in the cycle that we, uh, that, yes, that we engage, yes, that we follow up and that we have a program that they find engaging and can stick with to the end. Rob, thank you so much for making a fabulous point there and drawing attention to the fact that authorities are not blind to some of these things and uh, those sorts of initiatives need to be encouraged. Let's take another call. Jonathan is in Perth, WA. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome. Yeah. Hello, Neil. Hey, Jonathan. What Hi. are your thoughts? Yeah, my, my my suggestion is or my thought is that you know when we came we saw the 
the government were giving money to the to the other sex, the female. And so because of the receiving money bribe from all money from the government, it, it increased the domestic violence amount in the family. Because they feel that someone was getting money that look, you are not married, if you are a single woman will give you this, will give you that. So it happened in my family, my daughter got involved to show some of that in the home and they, they say they are not married and they have children with a person and so they do anything to get money. So that's what I noticed. I said, why government allow this? So when the brother was talking the, the, that uh, we need to approach these people with the word of God and to really, when somebody is changed, the violence will stop because some of them were not saved when they came, to, they came together. But Jonathan, to the West, you're making a powerful point here uh, that sometimes the system may be open to exploitation uh, and perhaps those complaints about domestic violence would not be there unless there was some sort of a financial motive uh, for some level of welfare. Uh, it's an interesting point there. Matt, any thoughts for Jonathan? Yeah, thanks for your call, Jonathan. Um, I, I'm not aware of any sort of financial advantage that that people could tap into in that situation by, you know, I guess to cut to the chase by faking domestic violence or exaggerating. Um, it seems like to me that funding goes into, uh, you know, into appropriate responses to emergency situations. It's not really that people are given a great, a great big handout financially. So I'm not sure uh, really whether that's much of a factor. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for your call. 1-800-316-316. We're talking about domestic violence. Let's take another call. Rod in Brisbane. Hello, Rod. Welcome. Hello. Morning, Neil. And how are you today? Good, Rod. What are your thoughts? Um, well, Andrew sort of stole my topic I was going to talk about before relating to males and suicide. Oh, yes. But I've come up with another one. It was... Um, you see the ads on TV lately with um, passing on, um, I think it's important to pass on that information and for perpetrators that are um, learning from the tools that are covered in Matt's um, circuit breaker course because I've helped facilitate some of them and I've seen um, the children that are heard about the children that are involved and how important it is to pass on those things that they've learnt so that you cut the cycle and don't keep continuing it onto the next generation. Mm. Yeah, cutting that cycle, a next generation, the children are important here. Someone's on the receiving end, someone is the perpetrator, but the children are the victims too. Mm. Your thoughts for Rod here, Matt? Yeah, it's a great, great thing to raise, Rod. And um, sometimes we d we deliver uh, circuit breaker programs even in uh, prison. And one of the most exciting things that I hear from the inmates there is, um, you know, we wish we had have had this, you know, wish we had have had these tools and strategies before we came to prison, and we wouldn't have had to come to prison. But now we can't wait to get out and teach them to our children, and that's. Inside and outside, I mean, even in the community, we hear that it, it's that it's that people want to pass it on to their children. Um, I, when my kids were of an age for me to discuss my past, uh, I, I really used that opportunity in, in an age-appropriate way to to help them to learn from my mistakes. And I think that's one of the great hopes with 
with our program is that they're tools that are capable of being passed on to change generational violence. It is the case, isn't it, uh, that we learn from our own parents. Mm. Uh, As boys, we're looking at our dads. How is dad treating mum in their relationship? And our own children are watching us. And if we don't fix the things that are flawed and the things that are broken, we are actually raising up another uh, generation of potential perpetrators. That's really the obvious thing you've got to be able to see here uh, generationally. That's right, and it's certainly it's certainly not the case that every perpetrator has come from that family of origin either. Uh, but but you know, fathers and mothers, we we pass on the best tools that we have to our kids, and often they're not the best tools around. <laughs> and so you, we certainly see that monkey see, monkey do. Rod, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. There still may be time for another call or two. Let me ask you, though, uh, come back to churches, Matt, because churches are, it seems to me, uh, beautifully made for delivering a program like this and beautifully made for having a real impact on your broader community. I mean, a lot of churches, they're just a stake in the ground in the middle of suburbia or in the middle of a small country town Mm. and offering something that can help the community. This creates an opportunity for churches to do something very, very constructive, doesn't it? I think so. I think one of the best things churches can do is is have a conversation about these issues, you know, and, and not even necessarily domestic violence, but but begin with conflict. Talk about, you know, things are not always wonderful every day. Give people permission to be real, to talk about their stuff, and then listen. I mean, listening is such a big factor. And um, if we're really listening to stories and we really uh, don't have to have all the answers, and I think we're really equipped to push them in the, into the right direction or to help them into the right direction, but also, I think for churches, getting training and you know understanding the nature and dynamics of DV and what we can do to engage with the people that can change it. Victims can't change it. Victims can can save their own lives and help, and that's so important and and you know very important that that happens. But if all people are doing is separating and you know sometimes we're incarcerating, uh, none of that really changes the problem it moves the problem around and these perpetrators will get into another relationship and continue to to pass that on so churches have an ability to to get face to face to love them through change and and support them through change and help to put better tools in their hands for a better future well your circuit breaker program uh, you've got training that's happening I, I know this weekend in Ipswich uh, just to the west of Brisbane couple of weeks you're doing a training in Sydney the expansion is moving mm. into Melbourne uh, but there are people all over Australia perhaps those who are listening now from uh, country town communities uh, thinking mm. we need this in our church in our town because uh, domestic violence is a real problem here uh, this course that people can do and I've uh, been mentioning it the 10-week course the circuit breaker course what does it look like what sort of things mm. do you cover in that for someone listening right now thinking uh, you know maybe I could do something like this for my town uh, yeah. what, what's in the course well that well the, there's two things there there's the course that that is delivered but before that of course being trained as a facilitator to be able to deliver that in a town um, we do have the face-to-face training as you said Ipswich this weekend and Sydney in on the 23rd 
and there's other options coming up. But uh, but another option re- which is really great for people in rural, rural and remote areas is our online training school. So you can access that through the Circuit Breaker website. And some people prefer that anyway so that they can do it at their own pace and just work through the lectures one by one and become qualified to deliver that program in their local community and start changing lives. I'll give that website address again in just a few moments. Let's take one more call, though. John is in South Australia. Hi, John. Welcome. Thank you. Um, some time back, um, I did hear that the, um, uh, the police didn't record when males were um, physically abused. Uh, it was against the... Um, uh, what do you call it? The the, the orders that they were given. They were not allowed to um, um, concentrate on on male uh, uh, females um, bashing males, so to speak. Mm. Um, Almost as though there's a there's a narrative, and you get caught into a narrative, and then you are uh, you know not able to see another side. Uh, interesting thought there, John. Uh, Matt, is there something in what John is saying? Uh, I've not heard of that. I'd I'd be very concerned to hear about that, and um, if I don't know whether that's a South Australian issue or a or a national issue, but what I do know is that yeah, politics does play a big part, unfortunately, in this sector. There are some narratives that drive funding and um, and I certainly do know of similar issues around some of the DB hotlines where uh, they will, as a matter of policy, talk a, a female perpetrator around to being a victim by way of a statement like, oh, you know, women are not perpetrators, you must be being provoked, what's he doing, love, you know, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not aware of that, but... It, Certainly very concerned to hear it, John. Thank you so much for your call, John. And just wrapping things up here, and I know that while we talk about the opportunity for restoration, there are some who find themselves in a domestic and family violence situation where their own safety is gravely at risk. Mm. Uh, You uh, don't encourage people to stay in that. Uh, You say, find a place of safety. Uh, but uh, those ones that you might call, I mean, Lifeline, clearly that mm-hmm. worked for you uh, some years back now, but uh, 13, 11, 14 uh, for people who might find themselves in, in the middle of a, a circumstance. Yes, Lifeline has good counselling when it comes to domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, other uh, lines that, or uh, ways that people can find help if they're in desperate need? I think the big go-to for victims of DV is, is the um, DV Connect 1-800-811-811, uh, uh, which is a free call. And uh, that th- yeah, that's a really good one st- one-stop shop for people getting all of the support they need and being um, connected with other related services that they're going to need in a crisis. Uh, so so that, that's a fairly good place for people to start, I think. Other ones, one uh, three hundred respect. Uh, mm-hmm. That's another uh, line you could call for help. Uh, also, beyond blue, I think they have uh, coverage uh, for some areas of domestic violence. One three hundred double two four six three six. But if you're in an emergency situation, of course, the encouragement is to dial triple O. Yeah, that's and right. uh, get some help straight away. Uh, for those who are wondering, uh, how do I get prayer for this? Uh, the Vision Prayer Line is one eight hundred seven seven two nine three six. 
lots of people call in for Vision Prayer. In fact, thousands of people each month are seeking prayer at Vision Prayer. It really is a wonderful way to connect here at Vision and have one of our prayer team pray for you. 1-800-772-936. Now, I want to give that website for those who might see the opportunity in their local church, in whatever town or city you might be living in, to have a circuit breaker program that, uh, to be run in your church. Now, you might be just making an initial inquiry, just testing the waters. Find out what's involved in a 10-week group-based program, uh, the Circuit Breaker course. That's circuitbreakercourse.net. And, of course, uh, people can be involved in sometimes uh, face-to-face and also these online courses. Uh, there's opportunities there, so be in touch. Uh, you can connect there directly, too, to Matt Bolton, who we're talking to today, circuitbreakercourse.net. Matt, thanks so much for coming in, sharing your heart. Uh, beautiful conversation, and thanks so much for clearing up a whole lot of areas here and being an encouragement to people in their own communities that, hey, this is not the end, something can be done. Thanks so much, Neil. It's been an honour. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 